This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. As we turn in the Gospel of John to the 17th chapter, the special privilege that we have today is to hear the heart of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. When someone prays, they reveal their deepest desires, and their greatest priorities. And when we listen to the prayer of Jesus today, we're going to hear his heart for God, his heart for his disciples, and his heart for the disciples that will come from his disciples, who are you and me. He prayed for us. So I'm going to read all of John 17, and I want you to listen for the heart of Jesus. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world, for them I sanctify myself, 
that they too may be truly sanctified. And my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus' high priestly prayer for you, John 17. A lot of people think that the prayer in Matthew 6, called the Lord's Prayer, is the prayer that Jesus would pray. But think about it. Would Jesus pray, forgive us our debts or trespasses or sins, as we forgive those who trespass against us? No, because Jesus was sinless. He still practiced that concept when they were nailing him to the cross. He said repeatedly, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So he practiced that prayer, that model prayer that he gave to us, his disciples, his followers, the ones who learned from him. So really, the prayer in Matthew 6 should be called the disciples' prayer. And what we have here in John 17 is the Lord's prayer. That is, the high priestly prayer of the Lord. Now, the high priest was the one who went into the Holy of Holies of the temple. You have the outer court of the Gentiles. You have the holy, but then the inner sanctum is the holy of holies of the temple. And the high priest went into the holy of holies only one time a year. And that was on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The high priest would go in with a rope tied around his ankle so that should he be struck dead by God, they could drag out his unclean body from the presence of God. The high priest would intercede for the nation of Israel, praying, asking for forgiveness for their sin, and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. The mercy seat had these two cherubim, these two angel wings made out of gold on it, and inside the Ark of the Covenant was the budding rod of Aaron and, and the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And it was on that that the blood would be sprinkled on behalf of the nation for atonement. That's why it was called the Day of Atonement. Now, what we learn from the Bible is that that earthly temple was a mere model of a heavenly temple, the real temple that's up in heaven. So when Jesus died... He went into the Holy of Holies in the real temple in heaven and he put his own blood on that mercy seat once for all so that we are forgiven 
and made righteous in the sight of God by the blood of Christ. And it says that Jesus, who's at the right hand of the Father, ever liveth to make intercession for you and for me. Think about it. Jesus is at the right hand of God praying for you right now. Now, if you've ever faced the prospect of surgery, you get nervous. You get nervous. Sometimes you get fearful because you don't know what's going to happen. I was going to have surgery for an inguinal hernia. I was ashamed that I had a hernia. And I confessed it before the congregation. I'm going to be having surgery for a hernia. And the manliest men came to me after the service, and they each told me that they had had surgery for hernias. And I felt better. But when Shirley and I were in the waiting room before surgery, we didn't know what could happen. Something could go wrong. You know, there's the risk factors. And we were praying, Lord, you know, if it be your will, may I live through this? And it's definitely a, a routine surgery, but you never know. Just then, an associate pastor from another church popped through the curtain where we were waiting anxiously. And you know what? At that moment, he could have been Jesus Christ himself. Because I was so full of fear, I was so full of concern and the what-ifs and all the things that could go wrong, that I needed the Lord. He wrapped himself up in the person of this associate pastor who came to my side, Tom Mitre, and he prayed with Shirley and me. And you know what? In that moment, there was a peace that passed understanding. There was a transcendent sense of calm and a, a sense of God is in control and I was able to rest in the Lord from that moment on. So imagine if you were facing surgery and somebody called you and said, I'm praying for you. That would be encouraging. Let's say a doctor says, I'd like to pray for you. That would be encouraging. But imagine that the Son of God, Jesus himself, is saying, I'm praying for you. That means the most. Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, is praying for you. He's got it. He's in control. He loves you. You're on his heart and on his mind, and he's interceding. He's crying out to the Father on your behalf. It's all going to work out. It's all going to be worked for good in your life. You can trust him. Because Jesus, and this is the thing that hit me, Jesus does not start things that he doesn't finish. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Philippians 1.6 He began a good work in you the moment you trusted in him. You were saved by grace through faith alone, and the moment you trusted in Jesus Christ, he began that process of justification and sanctification and glorification. Romans 8, 29. So, Jesus is a finisher. Because he's a finisher, he's at the right hand of the Father praying that you and I might not fall out of salvation. He's praying for us. And it says in Jude 29, 
Now unto him who's able to keep you from falling and present himself before you with exceeding joy, be glory, honor, and praise forever. So he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it, and he's going to keep you from stumbling out of salvation, and he's going to present you in his presence, and you're going to have more joy than you've ever had here on earth. You're going to be rapturous with joy, overflowing joy, joy that will make your whole body tingle. You're going to be so joyful that Jesus saved you, and what he began he finished. He brought to completion. When we see him, we shall be like him. Behold what manner of love the Father has for us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. So with that in mind, I have studied the Lord's prayer, the Lord's true prayer, his high priestly prayer in depth, and I've come up with this the specific prayer requests that Jesus had for us, his disciples. I want you to know that there's so much in this chapter that I'm highlighting, and I do encourage you to study it more deeply on your own. But let's think about the specific prayers that Jesus makes in John 17. Jesus prays for these five things. He prays for you, that you may have protection power. He prays for you that you might be sanctified, grow in holiness, be conformed to the image of Jesus in character and conduct. He prays for you and for the whole church that we might have a united witness, a unity that reflects the unity in the Trinity itself so that the world knows the only way those people are getting along and are together is because it's supernatural. It's Jesus who's at the center of that unity. And then he prays for us to be able to see him in his heavenly glory and to be where he is. He wants us to be with him. In his Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, he wouldn't tell us that. So that I'm going to come to get you so you could be where I am. Jesus wants us with him for eternity. And he also prays for us that we may grow in knowing God the Father and God the Father's love. Let's look at this. In John 17, 11, Jesus prays for your protection power. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, as he's talking to the Father, but they, my disciples, are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father. Notice how he addresses God the Father. Not just Daddy or Papa or Abba, but Holy Father, known as one who is complete, one who is perfect, one who is altogether magnificent and beautiful. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. And some versions put in the footnotes, Keep them faithful to your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. What is the Lord's prayer here? It's for protection power. Why? Because we are like sheep who have gone astray and the shepherd laid down his life for his sheep that we might come to him. But then guess what? We still wander. 
we still are tempted. In trials, we still choose to take things into our own hands rather than to trust the Lord. And so he is praying that we may remain faithful to him, that we will not fall out of salvation. And this is possible by the protecting power of God the Father, the perseverance of the saints. Also, we need protection because unity is something we're not good at. You know, there are so many variations of Christian faith. There's a lot of denominations, and there's a lot of egos and labels that separate us. And Jesus is praying that we might be one. Did you know that spiritually you are connected to all the believers around the world? Did you know that when you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, like an arm is socketed into a shoulder, you have membership into the body of Christ. This is a member of your body, and it's attached to your body. You are a member of the body of Christ, of which Christ is the head. And we're all growing up into him who is the head, so that we're no longer tossed to and fro by every wind and doctrine. So I remember somebody saying, unity with diversity through maturity. How can we have unity, that is, we're with each other, but yet we're so different from one another and still get along. It's through maturity. By having the heart and the mind and the eyes of Jesus, we respect the differences that we bring to the table, and we overlook the foibles and the idiosyncrasies that we all have, and we live in harmony. Only Jesus can make that happen. Only Jesus can bring people that are completely different together and have us be one. So Jesus prays for protection power for those two reasons. But it go, there's a third reason why he prays for this, mentioned in John 17, 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. We're in spiritual warfare. So it's not enough that in our own flesh and with the pressures of the world, we want to wander off and we want to get mad at people who are different from us and divide ourselves from them. We're not only in war against the world and the flesh, but also the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Spiritual warfare. And Jesus knows we're going through spiritual warfare. And that's why he's praying for you and me. The spiritual warfare is too great. If you read about it in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, stand in the strength and the might and the power of God. Our enemy is great, so great, you can't even stand up to him. You've got to stand in the strength and the might and the power of God, Ephesians 6, 10. And you have to wear the full armor of God. So Jesus is praying that we would be protected from the evil one. His scheme is what? To divide and conquer. He wants to separate you from God the Father and get you to come to the dark side. He wants to cause you to not like somebody because they looked at you the wrong way and disassociate yourself from them. You know, Aesop's fable told about these four oxen 
who were always able to um, push off the wolves that are after them. And the way they did it was the four oxen would line up backsides and have their horns out towards the wolves. But the wolves hired a little birdie go whisper in the oxen's ear and say, oh, that, that other one is terrible. You don't want anything to do with him. Next thing you know, the wolves came to attack, but instead of them joining forces, they all went separate, and they all got picked off. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to get you upset with the church and with fellow Christians so that you separate fellowship, and once you separate fellowship, the devil is like a lion looking, roaming to and fro to see whom he can devour. You know who he goes, who he goes after? He goes after the weak and the wounded. So if he can get you to have a chip on your shoulder against another believer, if he can get you to be resentful and bitter towards another believer and reject the church and, and stop reading the word, he's got you. And Jesus is praying against that. Lord, protect them. Give them your protection power. They need it. They need it so badly. Yes, Lord, we need it. Thank you for praying for us. Next, Jesus prays for our sanctification. In John 17, 17, and 19, notice there's two verses. In 17, he says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Uh, a footnote may say, Sanctify them so that they live in accordance with your truth. The point is, the word of God cleanses us. When we read the word of God, it cleanses our hearts, our minds, our spirit, our soul. The more we're in the word, the more we go from glory to glory as the Holy Spirit, who is the Lord, is changing us. And we want to reflect Jesus. We want to look like him. We want to live like him. We want to love like him. And the only way that's going to happen is if we're in the truth, in the word. But notice also, Jesus said in verse 19, for, for them, for his disciples, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Now, Jesus is holy. How does he sanctify himself? He sets himself apart to go to the cross to die for our sins, so that when he dies for our sins, with his perfect righteousness, an exchange happens. Our sins are forgiven and we receive the righteousness of Christ himself. The only way we can stand before a holy God is that we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ himself. And so Jesus died on the cross not just so we could be forgiven, but so that we can grow in holiness. Jesus Christ died on the cross so we could be saved and so that we can be sanctified. And many people just forget the sanctification part, say, hey, thank you, Jesus, I'm forgiven, I can live any way I want. No, Jesus Christ died to purify a people unto himself who are looking forward to his return. He wants us to grow in holiness. And he's praying for that. Thank you, Jesus, for praying for us to grow in your holiness, to be holy as the Father is holy. And then Jesus prays for our united witness. John 17, 20-23. My prayer is not for them alone, the 11 disciples that were in the room with him on the uh, night before he was betrayed. 
I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, which people came to Christ and then others and then through the centuries and then we came to Christ. So he's praying for us even more in this. I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So there's some sort of evidence, there's some sort of proof, there's some sort of witness to the world when the church is united. When you see people of different ethnic groups or different uh, economic levels or different political views coming together in unity, that is shocking. It just doesn't happen. Except Jesus is our peace. He's the secret of our unity. And that's a witness to the world. Jesus goes on in this section of John 17, 20-23, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So there's no way of escaping that unity is a witness to the world. But it's not a witness like the World uh, uh, Federation of of Churches um, back in the time when liberals tried to say, hey, the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. No, this is a spiritual unity that we have. Notice that Jesus said, I've given them the glory you gave me that they may be one. What does that mean? Glory is the Shekinah glory of God. Jesus prayed that he might be restored to the Shekinah glory he had before the creation of the world. When Jesus became a man, and prior to that he was God, he laid aside his Shekinah glory to become a human being. And when he died and he went back to the Father, he had that Shekinah glory again. Now for him to give us glory is to give us his Holy Spirit. So what makes us united? The Holy Spirit. What helps us to get along with each other? The Holy Spirit. What gives us a sense that we're one? The Holy Spirit. What helps us to cooperate in using our spiritual gifts just as coordinated as ligaments and and, uh, sinews of my body? The Holy Spirit. That's the glory. People see the glory, the Shekinah glory of the Lord, when the Holy Spirit is working actively among believers so that they are like little children playing along and getting along. What a witness to the world. Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by my love. So if we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we're loving towards one another, and they know there's something different about us by that agape quality, unconditional love that we have for one another. Jesus is praying, Lord, may they be one. May they have a united witness. So we need to get along. We need to love each other. We need to care for each other. We need to know that we're not the only church in town and pray for other churches and and be concerned for other churches and pray for revival of God's church that we would be all that we are supposed to be, that there would be a spiritual awakening. A spiritual awakening is when non-Christians come to Christ because Christians have been revived to be like Christ and when they see what Christians are supposed to be like, they come to Christ. So you have revival, and then you have spiritual awakening. In Scotland, when that happened, when the Spirit of God united believers in trusting Him and and repenting and living for Him, 
non-Christians came in Christ in such droves that many of them were miners, that is, they dug for coal, and they had stolen wheelbarrows and shovels and other equipment from the mining company. Well, when they came to Christ, they started returning it. And the management said, we're overwhelmed by the amount of equipment that has been returned. If you have something, please just hang on to it. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that wonderful that a society that's been experienced revival and spiritual awakening is so changed that the evidence to the world is palatable? Thank you, Jesus, for praying for our united witness. He prays for us to see his glory. John 17, 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Remember, he's in heaven. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus is eternal. He is God. He was, is, and is to come. And he is now with his Shekinah glory. Now, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are invisible. We cannot see the Father. We cannot see the Spirit. But we can see the incarnate Son of Man, just like the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, saw Jesus at the transfiguration. What did he look like? He was brighter than the sun. What did he look like in Revelation chapter 1 when the apostle John saw him? Read about that in Revelation 1. He's the glorified Lord. We get to see our triumphant, victorious, glorified Lord in heaven and be with him forever. Praise the Lord. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Jesus is there. Jesus is the pioneer who started my race, and Jesus is the perfecter who's finishing my race. I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. Do you know the love of God for you? That you are worth Jesus to God? That he should have his own son die on the cross for you? God the Father loves you. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.